we're in James, and uh, we're going to be talking this morning about wisdom. In order to start with wisdom, I actually want to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, strong start, I know. Strong start to my uh, preaching tenure here as assistant pastor. Uh, so a new Spider-Man movie came out this summer. I love Spider-Man because Spider-Man often captures the quest we're all on, doesn't he? kind of captures this angst we have of growing up, trying to take responsibility, find our power, and save the world in the process. The, the new Spider-Man movie this summer, though, had an interesting theme that is relevant to our passage this morning. One of the story arcs of the new Spider-Man, Far From Home, is that Spider-Man has lost his spidey sense, or at least he's struggling with his spidey sense. Spider-Man's spidey sense is what gives him this ability to react, to uh, flex, to dodge, to weave, and for some reason in the newest movie, he's, he's lost it. It's not working. And so Peter Parker keeps being told to trust himself. If he just trusts himself, if you just trust yourself, you're going to get through it. You'll get your spider sense back. And yet at every turn, as Spider-Man tries to trust himself, he finds that he's being manipulated, taken advantage of, or worst of all, he's failing. And he just can't seem to protect his family and his friends. Have you ever felt like there's something wrong with your spidey sense? This ability to react, to flex with any situation, the ability to rightly determine what your next course of action should be. In the ancient world, spidey sense was called wisdom. Wisdom was this ability, more than just knowledge or intellect, wisdom was the skill required to rightly react, rightly react to any situation that life was throwing at you. And yet the problem, as James is writing this early church, is that they too seem to have lost their spidey sense. Or maybe they never had the spidey sense, wisdom, at all. We find that all these pressures are surrounding the early church. There's pressures with these influencers and teachers that we heard about last week that are causing all kinds of destruction with their tongues. We find that there's this inequity, this imbalance between the rich and the poor, where the rich are being preferenced and the poor are being neglected. And all the way back to the start in James 1, we find that there are these pressures, this persecution, or or perhaps just immense suffering that's taking place in the church. And the problem, as they look at James, is the church is asking, how do we react? What do we do with all of these pressures that are surrounding us? How do we rightly respond to the challenges, the obstacles that we're facing. And it seems that many in the church have been, similar to Spider-Man, being told to just trust themselves. Just trust yourself. Trust your gut. Trust that spidey sense within you. And it's been leading them into all kinds of problems. So go ahead and look with me at this passage in James 3, verse 13. It should be in your bulletin. James is going to start out with a loaded question. So here's James's loaded question as he looks at this church experiencing all these pressures. James wants to ask, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, if you sit with this question, on the surface, it's actually pretty simple and sincere, right? James could be standing here with us today, and he could look at you as you have 
this challenge you're facing, maybe a big decision that's coming up, or a relationship that's gotten stuck, an obstacle at work. And James would ask, who is wise and understanding among you? Is there anyone here who's wise? I mean, look to them. Do you know any wise people? Do you know any understanding people that you could talk to about this? James is going to tell us that by their good conduct, they demonstrate their wisdom. So for those who uh, show themselves to be wise, look to them, talk to them, seek them out. But, but there's kind of a deeper challenge underneath this loaded question that James is asking. Who is wise and understanding among you? Do you think you are wise? Does your track record show wisdom in the decisions, in the obstacles that you faced? Are you truly you to be trusted, that gut instinct, the advice that Spider-Man's been receiving? And so as James asks this loaded question, are you, who is wise and understanding among you? The challenge for us is that we find ourselves in a time, in a, in a moment culturally, where all the voices around us are telling us we should trust ourselves. Charles Taylor is a Canadian philosopher, cultural commentator, and as he, was, as he looks at this history of thought that's brought us to where we are today, particularly in the city, Taylor's going to summarize this moment we find ourselves in as the age of authenticity. The age of authenticity. Isn't that kind of interesting? But what Taylor's saying with authenticity is this. Uh, this is a quote from Taylor. There's emerged an understanding of life that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that it's important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with the model imposed on us from outside by society, the previous generation, or religious or political authority. What Taylor's saying is this. Wisdom for us has become authenticity. Authenticity has become the guiding factor for what it means to be wise. So, uh, some slogans, slogans of authenticity that you can find turning on the uh, TV, opening up Facebook, Twitter says, uh, the world is yours to discover. It's the pursuit of authenticity. You discover it. Apple's going to tell you to think different. It's a mantra of authenticity. Nike, this is one of my favorite ones because it's so epic and good. Nike says, find your greatness. Find your greatness. Isn't that a great slogan of authenticity? If you work hard enough, if you push for it, if you listen deep enough, Within you is greatness. Wisdom is your authentic expression of yourself. And yet, James is going to tell us that when we seek wisdom from within, when we turn to authenticity as the primary navigational mode of our wisdom, we're going to run into some obstacles. Look with me at verse 14. He says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. These are two characteristics James wants to warn us about. The first, the sense of bitter jealousy. Uh, what started as a sort of passionate pursuit for whatever it is you're interested in, hobbies, work, advancement, relationship, gets turned inward and becomes bitter. It's like water that goes off or milk that becomes bad. 
Or the second characteristic, selfish ambition. This actually is a term that only pops up in Aristotle. It kind of has this sense of pursuing the party's agenda, uh, seeking the party line to get ahead. James is warning this early church that those who are bitterly jealous, whose relationships have turned inward, and those who are seeking only their own advantage are not following a heavenly wisdom, but instead are pursuing wisdom that's within. They're chasing wisdom from their self. He's going to say this wisdom has three sources. Verse 15, this is not wisdom that comes down from above. It's not heavenly. But instead, this wisdom is earthly, is unspiritual, and demonic. There was this sense in the early church that anyone who was pursuing wisdom wanted to know what was, what was heavenly, what was eternal. That was the way the culture in Greece and Rome would talk about it. And James is saying, when you just listen to yourself, when you trust your own gut, the wisdom you find is not heavenly, it's not eternal, it instead is earthly, it's unspiritual, even perhaps demonic. And so James's summary is that from this wisdom, wisdom within, There will be disorder in every vile practice. Disorder is the return to chaos. When you pursue a wisdom from within, when you pursue authenticity even, above all else, chaos will be the result. I've been trying to think of a contemporary example, and I realize this one might be loaded, so go with me here on this. Uh, If I've all started with Spider-Man, I want to turn now to Taylor Swift. We're just going to keep pop culture going here. So my wife and I uh, have few, few strong disagreements. One early one in the early days was a disagreement over whether we thought Taylor Swift's music was amazing or not. Um, I'll give you the, the sort of Sparks note summary. I lost uh, that disagreement. And as time has gone on, and my wife and I have both just paid close attention to Taylor Swift, she, I think, encapsulates well the voice of authenticity, the champion, if you will, of authenticity. Um, Taylor's story is really the just amazing example of what authenticity can get you. She starts small in Pennsylvania, chases a music career in Nashville, and finds through her hard work and incredible songwriting talent that what begins as stories about love and sort of just naive uh, expressions of herself blossom into a mega career uh, with songs that become anthems across our country for expression, individuality, uh, the sort of glory of the self. Uh, As an example of this, her most recent album, Reputation, essentially is a pursuit, an exploration from Taylor. I think she really does know what she's doing with this. I think this is very intentional on her part. She wants to defend the pursuit of her own reputation. And, and here's, here's just some interesting insights from her album. Uh, she first begins with a defensive posture, defending her authenticity from any sort of external forces or controls with her song, Look What You Made Me Do. Uh, she'll say, I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. Uh, in her song, Endgame, she's going to defend her relationship as an example of big reputations 
and that would result in big conversations. But, but here's, here's the catch with Taylor Swift that I think is really important for our age of authenticity. In reputation, the challenge is that when you pursue your own authenticity, it is always vulnerable. It's always fragile because in order for you to truly be authentic, in order for your wisdom to come from within, you're always having to justify and defend it. And so in her song, uh, Delicate, she's going to say, is it, is it cool that I said all of that? Is it chill that you're in my head? Because I know this is delicate. I think if you listen closely to Taylor Swift, what you find is an insight into what's driving our cultural pursuit of wisdom. That if we can just somehow express ourselves, if we can just create a big enough reputation that no one can assault it, that no one can come against it, then maybe finally we will feel justified in all of the decisions we've made up until this point. And yet to just even glance at Taylor Swift's brand and her public life, you find at numerous points bitter jealousy that marks her relationships. You find selfish ambition. And you find uh, this disorder, this chaos, that comes as a result of simply trying to express and defend yourself. So what do we do in an age of authenticity? Where do we find wisdom if our spidey sense is failing us? James is going to turn in verse 17 to wisdom that is from above. Before we get to his list of what takes place when you seek wisdom from above, There's a key word that did happen earlier in verse 13 that I want to sit with for just a second. In verse 13, James is going to say, by his or her good conduct, let them show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. Meekness is a funny word. It sort of sounds like weakness in English. I think it sets us off to meekness. No one really wants to be meek. But meekness for James is going to be the key if authenticity is what's driving our culture, if authenticity is what we're trying to defend and express, meekness becomes the characteristic of wisdom that's coming from above. Meekness is a posture of openness. It's it's this humility. Uh, Meekness often connotates great strength, but restrained strength, this willingness to humble and open yourself Particularly across the Bible, meekness is always going to be described of God's people when they're going to receive something from God. So Jesus in the Beatitudes is going to say, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or Jesus is also going to say, come to me, all you who are weary and laden, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Meekness for James is the key if we are to receive wisdom from above, rather than simply pursue a wisdom that's within ourselves. How do we practice this, meek, this wisdom? How do we practice the instrument of meekness? Well, I had uh, one professor who said pursuing wisdom is a lot like playing jazz. Wisdom is kind of complicated, just like jazz is complicated. There's a lot of improvisation required in order to navigate any situation you find yourself in. And yet there's really three steps, three simple steps, if you want to become 
an amazing jazz player. And these three steps are similar. If you want to learn the skill of listening to wisdom from above. First step is this, you must learn your scales. So any jazz player can tell you that if you're going to improvise well, you actually need to start rigidly with a set system in front of you. So James is going to give us the scales of wisdom, the markers of wisdom that help us seek wisdom from above. Look with me at verse 17. James is going to say wisdom from above is first pure. It's first pure. that It's without blemish or spot. It's pure as God is pure. The word here is actually holy. Uh, wisdom from above is going to demonstrate that integrity and wholeness that characterizes God. Then wisdom from above is peaceable. It's at harmony. It seeks to unite. It stays in relationship. Next, wisdom from above is gentle. There's a softness to wisdom. There's a softness to responding to the situation that's in front of you. Then wisdom is open to reason. I find this to be one of the most challenging scales to master when it comes to wisdom from above. I must, at every obstacle, be open to receiving insight or pushback that I might be wrong. Then wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. As James sort of plays the scale of wisdom for us, he's trying to tune our ears, much like scales and jazz, to learn the rhythms, to learn the melodies of wisdom. So that's the first step to play your scales. The second step anyone would tell you if you're trying to learn jazz is that you have to listen to the greats. You just have to spend time absorbed in the music. You can't rush this stage. You can't push past it. It's going to be slow, and it's going to take a deep immersion. And so similarly, in the life of faith, listening to the greats is immersing yourself in the scriptures. It's noticing the patterns of of wisdom across the great saints of the Bible. And yet even more, the true great of wisdom is God as Trinity, is noticing Jesus Christ, but particularly listening to the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to learn wisdom from above, this likely will entail a lot more time and slowness than we often want to give our decisions. This might involve, if you have a big choice coming up, setting aside a day, a Saturday for prayer. I have found that this skill is so easily neglected and yet can change your life. If you just take even a an eight-hour window on a Saturday to get away somewhere outside of the city and to listen diligently for wisdom. Uh, Another skill that could be involved might be fasting in order to listen to the greats. Choosing a day of the week that you set aside food, you open up a hunger in your body so that you can start to feel this hunger, this desire in you to hear from God. That's how the church has always invited us into fasting, presented us with fasting. Or it could involve just a daily discipline of waiting for wisdom. Having a big decision, a big relationship that you commit those first 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes during lunch, or 15 minutes in the evening, to just sitting and listening, listening to the Lord, listening to the Spirit, asking for wisdom that's from above. The final step to learn jazz, to be able to improvise, that's also true for wisdom from above, is that you have to play 
with others. You've got to just get in there with your instrument and start playing. And so with wisdom from above, some of these scales James is trying to teach us is the ability to check our own gut and turn towards others. Turn with openness to reason. Turn with impartiality and sincerity. Asking others here in this church to offer their wisdom to you. It's the only way you're going to receive wisdom from above, to turn and ask for wisdom from others in the church. Jen and I recently have been walking through all of this. Wisdom constantly confronts you if you start paying attention to it. And so in our apartment search, Jen and I got very close to pulling the trigger on something that was a gut decision. It was an apartment that looked really nice. Uh, It had stainless steel appliances. Who can argue with that? And yet, as we got closer and closer, it wasn't super close to the community. It wasn't in a super great location. It was a fourth floor walk-up, which is probably all the information you need to know, uh, to know that for a non-urban dweller previously, that it wasn't a good idea. But one of the hardest parts for us uh, was realizing that we needed to make some calls, that we actually, we kept wanting to just sort of power through with our gut, with our instinct. And yet what we desperately needed to do was call others, call those here in Emmanuel to seek their wisdom. And as I was preparing the sermon, I I was just caught by the complexity, the challenge of asking for others' wisdom when we're set on choosing our own way based on our own gut. So as James closes off this passage in verse 18... He's going to say, out of, out of this skill, learning wisdom from above, you're going to reap a harvest of righteousness. For James, there's always this beautiful fruit that's going to come that will tell you this has been truly wise. You'll feel it in your bones. You'll see peace. You'll see connection. You'll see God at work. And so James beautifully is going to say, uh, what is sown in peace? by those who make peace, is reaped now in righteousness. So as I close here uh, with this week's mark of faith, the invitation to you is will you seek wisdom from above rather than wisdom from within? There, for many of us, uh, there are countless opportunities, both large and small, that you right now are probably in need of wisdom. We're always in need of wisdom. And yet there is a distinct difference between authenticity, a voice that tells you to just be true to yourself, to trust yourself, trust your gut, and meekness, a posture that stands open and submissive, that's willing to receive and perhaps even be told that that gut impulse you have is wrong. I know it's going to take immense courage to reach out to others here to slow down, and to invite the Lord to offer wisdom from above. Yet my prayer for you is that as a community, as we seek this together, this mark of faith, that we would see more and more across these complex decisions, across these challenging obstacles, that this harvest of righteousness is coming forth. Let me close this in prayer. God, we ask that your spirit would guide us with your wisdom. Lord, you say that as we do ask, you will give. 
And Lord, we, we trust that wisdom from above will be difficult at times to receive, perhaps even that we will be told no or will be challenged in our gut. And yet, Lord, I pray for the courage here, for the time and the silence and the stillness to truly seek your wisdom from above, that it might result in righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.